0: Well, it's good to worship with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, let's open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I would like to go to the Lord in prayer again and ask Him again to just bless um, the, the time and the word. Brother Ryan, would you please offer prayer? to behold wondrous things out of your wall, Father. pray that you still uh, minister with the power of the Spirit, and bless us, Father, that here in yours. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Luke chapter 14, we'll read the first 14 verses um, tonight. Luke chapter 14. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go, and answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things." And he put forth a parable to them which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room." "...that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say to thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors." lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. In this passage tonight, what we see is we see that Jesus exposes the sins of selfishness and pride. And He commends in their place, he commends humility, and even gives some instruction for how to practice pure-hearted love. So so it's, um, if, if, if the Lord will bless this tonight, um, you will have some heart surgery, okay? <laughs> if he will bless this, you and I will have some heart surgery uh, because he exposes the sins of selfishness and pride, commends humility, and pure-hearted practice of love. But I also want to note tonight that that the one who speaks to us and the one who, in this passage, Jesus who teaches that He is the example of those things, that He is the motivation, and He is the strength for all of those things. So the setting is is that we have um, Jesus on. um, He is eating in the house of one of the chief Pharisees on the Sabbath day, so probably they've had worship at the synagogue, and one of the chief Pharisees has a dinner, and Jesus is invited to the dinner. And so He goes there, and it's not all the way, it seems hospitable, but it says they watched him. And you know what that means when you're reading the Gospels. And if we could just think about what our Savior endured for a little bit, um, can you imagine just people constantly watching you, waiting for some slip of the tongue, waiting for some little thing that they would exploit and broadcast far and wide and put the worst possible um, uh, interpretation to in order to wreck you. Jesus went through a lot for us, didn't he? And so he's there, and he's eating, and they're watching him. What can we do? What will he say? What can we, how can we put the microscope on him and find out something to trip him up with? It says there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. I had to look that up. That's If I get it right, Brother Jeff, edema. Edema, is that right, is the, is the condition? Um, this this uh, uh, fluid buildup in the body cavity or tissues, and it's often the arms and legs are just swollen. So this man obviously visibly was not well, uh, a very unpleasant condition to say the least. A lot of times it would indicate organ failure. If my medical analysis is wrong, see Dr. Harris afterwards. Regardless, the man was not well, and it was more than just a cold. And he's sitting right there, and what does Jesus typically do? He typically heals people. So here you have a, a, a Sabbath day lunch, and you have this man who's not well, and they're all watching Jesus. What can we do? He's already butted heads with them about the Sabbath numerous times. And so Jesus just jumps the gun. He takes the offensive and says, hey, guys, is it, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Like, is that all right? Is that lawful? Would that be sin? Would God be okay with that? So the Sabbath, I'm not going to get into a big thing about this, but the Sabbath was... It was a covenant sign that God especially gave to Israel. With all of these, as you've read, specific regulations, um, and it was, it was very important to signify their loyalty to Jehovah. But as you know, the Pharisees had added lots of layers and laws to the Sabbath to the point where, um, remember the man who Jesus, um, in the book of John, who he heals and says, take up your bed and walk, And they say, ah, he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath instead of rejoicing that, wow, this man who has been in such terrible condition for years and years, praise the Lord, you've been healed. But there's no love there, is it? Just these rigorous rules that they've added on to God's law and took what was supposed to be rest for the people and made it a great burden for the people. And so Jesus says, hey, is it okay if I heal? They don't say anything. They can't say anything. And so Jesus heals the man and sends him on his way, and then Jesus goes further and exposes them with this question. Which of you guys have a donkey or an ox, and it, let's say it falls into a pit, a ditch or something, on the Sabbath, and how many of you, what do you all do? You go and get him out of the pit and nobody says a word. And, uh, you know, it's a rhetorical question, so they're like, yeah, that's true. But what's the difference here? The difference. See, a donkey, kids, was not a pet for them. And an ox wasn't a pet for them. It was part of their assets. It was part of their material possessions. That's how they would farm and do, you know, this is part of their money, part of their livelihood. And so what Jesus ex- is exposing in the hearts of the Pharisees is this graceless, um, loveless heart that's stuck upon self that says, I will make a Sabbath exception if it helps my bottom line. I'll make a Sabbath exception if it means something better for me. But oh, no, no, we can't help this man on the Sabbath. In other words, my ox is valuable, but this sick man is not. Whoa, did I just say that? You know, And Jesus has exposed them. He's exposed them. The reality is, brothers and sisters, this is not just for the Pharisees, but the truth is this, is that we are born into this world stuck on ourselves. We are born into this world stuck in ourselves, and we are really good at making all kinds of rationalizations, justifications, value judgments, and decisions, where oftentimes, or at least sometimes, we can forego love because it doesn't enrich ourselves. And so Jesus, with this question, these questions, just exposes their graceless, selfish, wicked hearts um, right there in their presence. And what do we see in Jesus, the one who's, who's condemning The one who's exposing the sin is exactly the opposite, isn't he? Jesus, you read throughout, I'm in the Gospel of Luke right now, but all the Gospels, but especially throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is again and again moved with compassion on the plight and the needs of others. And he's going out of his way. He's pouring himself out to minister to those who are in need. And this is what he's done when he saved us. That Christ saw our greatest need and he lays aside his own comforts, if you will, his own glory, and he comes to rescue completely the opposite of what we see with the Pharisees. So if you're already feeling a little bit bad, let me preach the gospel to you. Let me give you the good news, okay? The good news is that Jesus Christ has come to save his people from their selfishness. He's come to save his people from graceless, loveless, hard hearts that prioritize self and what is valuable to me over the needs of others. And Jesus is at work. Listen, His grace is at work not only to forgive us of those sins, but also to transform us and to change us to where we will more and more love like He loves. And you see the great contrast throughout the Gospels. You see their lack of love and self and, and, and selflessness. And you see Christ again and again pouring Himself out, pouring Himself out in Love, So Jesus is working to transform us. Now we look at humility, and really all of these are they're all intertwined together. Selfishness, pride, on the positive end, humility and love, pouring oneself out. So Jesus puts forth a parable after the man's been healed. Same setting, same house, same lunch. He puts forth a parable to those who were bidden, uh, it says, those who were invited to the lunch. Uh, he did this, it says in verse 7, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms... So that there were really not rooms. It's the idea of seats, the chief seats. And so he says, when you're bidden of any man to a wedding, don't sit in the highest spot, the best spot, because here's what may happen. Uh, the guy who invited you to the wedding, he may come up and say, hey, you're in Mr. So-and-so's seat. Head back to the back of the bus, and then you'll have shame. When you come to the wedding, sit in the, the back spot, the lowest spot, and hopefully you'll be honored. And he'll say, say, friend, go up and get a better spot. Go up and go higher. All the point being, whoever, verse 12, will exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. In these dinners, they say that it, they would normally be sitting in a U-shaped fashion at these dinners. And the top spot was right in the center, and that was the host's spot. And so... Um, so everybody else is trying to get as close to the host as they can. So it says that, and Jesus watched people, y'all. He, he was observant. He was a people watcher. Some of you here are like that. Me too. And Jesus was watching them of how they were choosing out the chief seats, trying to get the top spots. And I would imagine it's a little bit, uh, you probably had to laugh to keep from crying. You know, what was the strategy they may have used? Maybe they go up to... Um, I don't know what the guy's name was, we'll just call him um, Joseph. Let's just say that the man named Joseph was the host of the feast. He said, oh, Joseph, thank you for having us, and tell me about how your crops are doing. The weather's been so wonderful, not because they care about Joseph and his crops, but if I can get up close to him, maybe when dinner bell is rung, I'll get to sit down right here, right by Joseph. You know, you could just, your mind can, can go places thinking, how are they doing this? It was probably comical, trying to be subtle, but probably subtly obvious, What's the whole point? What's the whole point? Jesus here is not merely teaching us nice manners. Okay, now kids have nice manners. Jesus is not teaching a lesson about proper wedding etiquette, although this probably would apply at a wedding as well. Jesus is dealing with a spiritual issue of the heart. See, this is more. This is more than just hey, be nice at weddings. Make sure you sit in the back, and hopefully you'll get invited up front. He is speaking to a people who, as what the, kind of the parable indicates, is this was their, that the Pharisees and, and us by nature, what's happening? What's happening? We're seeking out the top spot. Self-promotion, self-elevation. Jesus is exposing the wretched sin of pride. This putting self in the front place. And Jesus, this is not the only time that Jesus spoke this sentence in Luke. The next time it's with the, the Pharisee and the publican praying... Um, in, in the synagogue, whoever will exalt himself shall be abased, he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Let me just, here, here's how big of a deal it is, okay? Here's how big of a deal it is God will not save anybody without humility. He, he won't do it. He won't save anybody without humility. So nobody who's saved, truly saved by the Spirit of our Lord, is void of this humility that Jesus is speaking of here. Now, even those of us who are in Christ, there's plenty of room to grow. Don't get me wrong. But that's how big of a deal that it is. Who does Jesus speak of in the Beatitudes? Blessed are who? The poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those who are hungering. They're thirsting. They're longing for righteousness. So part of what happens in salvation is that God humbles the pride of sinners. He humbles the pride. He brings them to a place of humility to see their need of Him, and they look to Him for grace. It's more than just about wedding etiquette. It's about a spiritual issue of the heart. And so I want to drill down a little bit tonight. I want to drill with some specifics and very practicalities about this business of, of pride. And it's not because i mean. It's just because it's important, okay? So I'm going to include, I'm not going to insult anybody. No, not one person here, because I'm going to include myself with you. But in this room tonight, there's a whole lot of pride, I would guess. And I see heads nodding rather than saying, no way. And that's a good sign. In this room, there's a whole lot of pride. And praise our Lord, as we've talked about. He has come to redeem us and to, to chisel away at that pride, and to grow humility within us. But let's, let's just think about how does, because pride is manifested in, it has, it's a disease that has many symptoms, okay? Many different kinds of symptoms. So, some of it is very obvious, kind of like what we see here. This this self-exaltation, self-promotion. I'm, I'm the best, I have to be first. Hey kids, how many of y'all, when there's lunch here, I don't know how lunch goes here at Grace Chapel now, but... But is there just a whole horde of kids saying, please, elder saints, would you please go first? (laughs) We don't want to be first, right? That's a pretty common symptom, isn't it? We're kind of born in the world wanting to be first, aren't we? First, top, best, have the most, most recognized. There's a lot of different symptoms of pride. I deserve recognition around here, somebody might say. I I deserve for my accomplishments to be noticed and to be appreciated. And you know, when we begin to give in to pride, guess what happens? Anybody else that gets in the way, they're in trouble, aren't they? And so that's when a lot of over-criticism comes. Oh, she has no clue how to run a house, right? Some proud woman may say, bless her heart, she just doesn't get it. And maybe some of you guys at work just look with disdain on your coworkers. This, he, just he will not reach my level, you know. He won't get all those mistakes that they make. Isn't that? It's pretty wretched, isn't it? As we as we begin to increase in pride, we begin to put others down. That's just how it works. I've got to get you down so I can get myself farther up. I can get myself farther up. But pride's manifested a lot of. You don't just have to be the loud, bra- uh, braggadocio type. Um, a lot of times it can be there when those who gravitate toward comparison, gravitate toward comparison. So it might be that, wow, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm measuring up well, I feel great. But the flip side is when I don't measure up, oh, I'm just in the dumps and everything's terrible. What's the problem? The problem is I'm just too focused upon myself. I'm just too, how about this one? An over, an, an obsession or an, an overemphasis on image and how I appear to others. Now, if you leave the house and you don't brush your teeth and you don't brush your hair, you need to be a little more concerned about image, okay? But that's not the problem for most of us, is it? When there's an over-concern, when, when really, by, it's very, very important how I'm seen. I, I, I've, I've got to look really put together. I can't show weaknesses. I can't admit. I know, I don't seek help for a problem because I can't look like that I'm weak or I'm not house enough or I've got enough together and I've got to outwork and outdo everyone so I can, my appearance can be, what's the the problem? It's not nothing wrong with diligence, nothing wrong with pouring ourselves out but when the focus is really it's just about me and how that I'm looking. I wonder if there are any here tonight who you would never, you would never, hopefully not, but you would never confess sin struggles to another church member because they might think bad about me because I wouldn't you know, I want to look real godly. I, I, it would My armor would be tarnished a little bit. Is that what the Lord's after? Is that what the Lord's after? Is that what the community of God's people is supposed to be after? What does he say in James? Hey, confess your faults to each other. <laughs> Pray for each other that you might be healed. It doesn't mean you got to tell everybody everything, but it does mean that our Lord intends for us to be humble enough and have an atmosphere of grace enough where we're a grace and truth type people so that we can speak truth to each other and we have grace and so I can come to my brother and say, man, I am struggling with this right now. I, need, I just got to confess it. And the brother you know is going to receive you and love you and he's going to tell you the truth, but he's not going to pound you with a sledgehammer and, and you're, you're the guy who you want to keep, keep going back to him because he's got grace and truth. I think that's what the Lord's more after, don't you? That's, 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 that's what the Lord's after as we see in his word. Pride can also be manifested as just just being slow to admit being wrong. Being slow to confess sin, slow to ask forgiveness. Why? Because it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Um, there's, There's not one marriage here that will be really healthy unless there is a generosity in forgiveness. And there is a transparency in confessing wrongs. It's like surgery, isn't it? It's like surgery when you got to confess your stuff, and you've got to admit, Maybe I was, I was on me. It's like surgery because it hurts. It's painful. None of us like that, but it's like surgery in that it's healing, and that it's healing, and that it's the path to a, a stronger, a, a more deep relationship. But pride will hinder us from that. I, it just, I'm just not going to admit I'm wrong. He's got to say it first. <laughs> or for us men, she's got to come and apologize first. Then I'll think about it. That's not what the Lord's after. He that... Well, here it is. What's the context? He that exalts himself will be brought low. On the flip side, the positive side, he that humbles himself, the Lord will exalt. He that humbles himself, the Lord loves to honor, loves to bring up. Now, there's there's so many different symptoms of pride that we could think about. And if you're already hurting, I I feel your pain with you. Um, Anybody ever try to subtly get attention from others, maybe kind of subtly drop hints of who you know or what accomplishments you've made? Is anyone um, having a problem with resisting uh, God-ordained authority and being disrespectful of God-ordained authority? That's a symptom of pride. Because listen, the world's all, the world's fine with that. The world is fine with resisting authority, but but God's Word makes clear that He is, He's made a world, of course, in which He's the ultimate authority, and He's given a chain of command down through social structures and families and church and all the rest. And God's honored when there's humility demonstrated in submitting to God-ordained authority. On the flip side, it's an ugly manifestation of pride. An ugly manifestation of pride. We could go on and on. Another one I think of is, is a lack of service, lack of serving. I'm always waiting for somebody else to serve. That's somebody else's job. Well, the humble say, and we'll see hopefully a little bit in some of Jesus' other words, the humble are, 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 they see it as a promotion to serve. They see it as a promotion to serve, so they're willing to serve. Well, let me preach the gospel to you again, okay? If you're hurting. Jesus Christ has come into this world to save His people from their pride. Hallelujah. To save His people from their pride. He has come to wash us and to cleanse us from that filthy, wretched disease that we're going to struggle with to some degree until the day that He calls us home to glory. But He's come to forgive us and cleanse us and wash us from all the symptoms that have man- symptoms of pride that have manifested themselves in our lives. And He's at work. And He'll stay at work to chisel away at it and to cause us and help us to grow, to develop in humility more and more. Look at Jesus' words Himself in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew 20, you know these words... Very famous, um, well-known account of Jesus. This is when um, James and John came to uh, seek the uh, the top spots for... Um, James and John's mother came and te- to seek the top spots for her sons. Lord, would you work it out that they could have uh, first place, second place in your kingdom? What's she doing? The top spots, the chief seats. And I won't read it all. I won't read it all. But Jesus says, he says in verse... 25, basically saying, that's not how it's going to be around here. (laughs) In the world, that's how it is, but that's not how it's going to be in my kingdom. You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, your servant. You want to be great? The path to greatness is serving, humble service. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as, here's the example par excellence, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Think about that. Even as even as the Son of Man, God the Son Himself, came to earth not to be served, but to pour his life out in service, namely, to give a ransom offering His death on the cross to redeem His people from their sins, including that of pride. Oh, the humility of Jesus. The humility. So think about this. If, if We all know this. that if, 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 um, if Christ had gotten the royal treatment, we would all say it's completely appropriate. I mean, if He was living in a palace and had the best clothes and was eating um, five-course meals and had the best chariot in town, we would say appropriately so because the Son of God has come. And that would have been a peanuts compared to glory, right? But he didn't even have that, did he? He comes in obscurity. He comes in poverty. He comes being someone who would subject himself to being watched by the Pharisees, even though he's the judge of all the earth and they would sit in judgment upon him. Jesus, listen, we we have been saved, we have been redeemed by a humble servant, haven't we? Our sins have been washed away by a humble servant. Heaven has been purchased for us by a humble servant. And so therefore, we're to be shaped by the one who we worship, aren't we? We're to be shaped by the one who's redeemed us and who has loved us. And so Christ is our example, He's our motivation, He's our strength. Well, let's look a little more look in first peter chapter 5 first peter chapter 5 peter says in verse 5 likewise ye you younger submit yourselves to the elder yea all of you be subject one to another and this expression is so good and be clothed with humility for god resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god that He may exalt you in due time. So in the positive end it's be clothed with humility, that just as you left your houses um, this evening and you made sure you had something on and something that looked okay and all the rest, be clothed with this garment, this internal garment, this garment of humility, this garment of Christ-likeness, this garment that treasures the fact that Jesus has redeemed me as a humble servant. And so therefore, Jesus, give me grace to walk In humility. On the negative it says, hey, you need to note this. Warning that God resists the proud. God resists the proud. God has a long, illustrious history, doesn't He, of, of, of humbling the proud. Think about Pharaoh, the great king of Egypt. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should serve Him? He is not my boss. I'm my own guy.'" And I am glad to go toe-to-toe with Jehovah. My iron will is not breaking. And and what did God do? God abased him, didn't he? He humbled him with frogs. And he humbled him with lice. And he humbled him by killing his firstborn. And ultimately, he humbled him by crushing him and all of his armies in the Red Sea. God resisted a man who would not give up his pride. And he crushed him. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Remember him? He's... He is just singing his own praises. Look at my accomplishments. Look at all that I have done. Wow! And anyway, granted, he was impressive. And what did God do with the man who who was filled with pride? The Lord brought him in mental derangement and those weird circumstances where he's eaten like an animal until he gets his head on right and says, he's up top and I'm down low. Is translating Nebuchadnezzar's words. The Most High Rules. And there's another example of God abasing the proud in a saving way in Saul of Tarsus, who we know as the Apostle Paul. Remember him? He was impressed with his knowledge. He was impressed with his law-keeping. He was impressed with his devotion. He was impressed with his external religion toward God and thought. He was really Something. And God humbled him in grace, didn't He? He humbled him with grace. He abased his pride, to where Paul would later change his tune completely and say, "Listen, I all of that past stuff, all that stuff I was trusting in, all that stuff I was so impressed with myself about that thought I was really doing great for God, I count that as dung, compared to the perfect righteousness of Jesus that's been given to me as a gift." And so I don't listen. I don't boast in self. He's saying I have no confidence in my flesh. No trust in what I've done. Now I'm boasting, I'm rejoicing, I'm boasting in Jesus. God resisted His pride, but in mercy brought Him low to a place of humility. Now, how how can we grow? How can we practically grow? What are some key things for us to to grow in humility? Well, first is this, is is that we have to see the glory of God. We have to see the glory and the majesty of God. Psalm, Psalm 115 verse 1 says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but unto your name give glory for your mercy and for your truth's sake. So the psalmist is seeing things rightly because he's seeing God. It's like Not for us, Lord. You're the God of loving kindness. You're the God of truth. When we sing, that's what we're doing. When we sing the hymn, holy, holy, holy. We're seeing God as he is. Say, so, Lord, even the angels veil their faces before your glory. But All your works, they bring praise to your name, whether earth or sky or sea. God, you're, you're a God of, of majesty. You speak and things happen. Your wisdom, I think I'm wise sometimes when I look at your wisdom and how that you are ruling and reigning and ordering your providence in ways that I never would have thought, never would have guessed, never would have thought would have been a great idea, but we see it all through your word of things that you bring to pass in ways that just make us scratch our heads. And we've got to say, Lord, you're wise. And so I've got to be humble before you to see the glory of God, the majesty of God. Something else we have to see to be humble, and that's grace. That's grace. So last week at Carnival, I preached another sermon from, from David. And it was that great story of David and Mephibosheth. You remember that one? Who's Mephibosheth? He is the grandson of King Saul and the son of Jonathan. And when he was five years old, any five-year-olds here? When he was five years old, his granddaddy and his daddy got killed in the great battle with the Philistines. And his and, and his, the lady who took care of him, his nurse, was probably panicking and running away because they thought maybe we're next. And she's running away and she drops him accidentally. And he's a cripple for life. So from five years old on, little Mephibosheth, he can't play, he can't climb trees, he can't go run around. He's a cripple. And he probably used to live, if you're If your daddy is Prince Jonathan, and your grandpa is King Saul, you probably eat lots of great food, have great toys, and life is really pleasant. And after that, it wasn't. And you know what kings would usually do when they would take over? They would, you know what they do with the family of the previous king? Most kings would do in that culture? They were done. So Mephibosheth lived in a place called Lodabar, which means no pasture. Not a great place to live. You need grass to feed your animals. So... Probably he didn't brag about the fact of being King Saul's grandson. Now think about that. And then one day, one day King David says, hmm, is there anybody left from Saul's family that I can show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because David had made this covenant with Jonathan that he would, he would not harm his, his house, his seed. Well, there's this, there is this guy, and his name is Mephibosheth. He's Jonathan's son. But he's a cripple. He's lame on his feet. And David brings, Jonathan, brings Mephibosheth. So think about this. He's gone from being the family of the king's enemy. He lives, he's from a bad family, in other words. He, he's crippled on his feet. He's probably poor. And they bring him to David. And David says, listen, all your granddaddy's land, King Saul, I'm going to restore all that to you. I bet you if Saul was king, he had a lot of land. Don't you imagine? So <laughs> Instantly, Mephibosheth is rich. And guess what? I'm going to provide a crew, a work crew, to work the land for you. All the proceeds can go in your bank account. And so you're going to be rich, and you'll be taking care of plenty of food. But you know what? You don't even have to eat there from that food that's grown. Because you have a spot in the palace, in the family of the king, every single day. And you will be like one of the king's sons. Now, y'all just think about that. That was a great day from Mephibosheth, wasn't it? Everything changes. Everything changes. And, of course... Now I'm preaching a different sermon. But that whole story is a story more than about David and Mephibosheth. It's a story about what God's done for us, for His people. Wow. Listen, we, we, we have been made rich if we're in Christ. We've been made sons who have a spot at the family table. And nobody's talking about us being a cripple anymore because we're wealthy now. We're so rich in the grace of God. And I say all that to say this. That's a lot of grace, folks. And what's the point? To be humble, you've got to see grace. What was Mephibosheth's response to David? He said, Who is your servant that you would look upon such a dead dog as I am? No, In other words, I don't deserve this. I, I should have been a dead man because I'm from your enemy's family. And why have you? You've been so kind to me. You've been so good to me. So, in one day, Mephibosheth went from being a dead dog to a king's son. And he's humbled. Listen, when we can see what we are and see the illogical kindness of God, the the kindness of God that doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. The grace of God. Our response should be humility to say, Lord, you've accepted me. You've forgiven me. You've cleansed me. It doesn't matter if I compare to anybody else. Lord, you've been so good. I want to be a servant. It's a promotion for me to be a servant in your kingdom, Lord, because in the past I was in the family of your enemy. So it's an honor to be a servant in your kingdom. Yes, Lord, I can serve even when it costs me. If I live in an atmosphere of grace, I'm free to confess my sins. So I can confess my sins and my brothers sins. So I can seek the Lord's mercies because He already knows what I've done anyway and He's already paid for it and He's not against me, He's for me, so I'm really just hurting myself when I don't have the humility to confess my sins. Grace will humble me. Lord, I don't, it, it doesn't matter if I'm the top guy on the ball field or the best piano player or have the best singing voice in church, Lord. I want Jesus to be magnified. So in all that I do, whether in work or in play or in church or in sports or the family, Lord, I want Christ to be put on a pedestal. I want to be humble before you. See, when we see the glory of God and we see the grace of God, the right response is humility before Him. Now, here's what, here's what the world preaches, okay? The world preaches, listen, you are amazing. You are something else. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. And never forget, your happiness is most important. And you really, really are special. A little side of humor. You remember some of the masks I saw some of the people wear? It really cracked me up. It said, I am essential. I thought that one was funny. <laughs> and it is true, we are essential. But it's kind of like, look at me. I'm something else. Well, let me just say this about humility and pride. This is important for young, young people particularly, for young people. I want you to know you are special. And you really are amazing. Because you're made in the image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so your physical makeup is not an accident. God made you as tall as you are and the color hair and eyes and all the rest... And talents that you've been able to acquire, that's amazing. You, you're using the gifts that God gives you. If you could shoot a ball really well and dribble, that's amazing. The hand-eye coordination, God made you with that, and you've developed that. If you can play the piano, I never could, but I'm impressed with that. That's, that's, you're using the gifts and the talents God's given you. So if you're really good at math, just naturally, that flows well with you, God made you. So you are amazing, and you are special. And God's made you amazing, fearfully and wonderfully made, but not for the purpose of you putting yourself on the pedestal. He's made you amazing and unique so that He would be put on the pedestal through you. That's different from what the world says. The world says it's all about you, so celebrate yourself and you just make much of yourself. God says you are amazing. God's amazing things with you. For the purpose of Him being on the pedestal and Him being glorified through you. Well, let me get back to Luke Chapter fourteen, and we'll finish up. But, but 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 let me just say this too about pride and humility: that um, by God's grace, don't just let it stay on the church pew. So if you're taking notes out there uh, with a the pad, or if you need to do it up mentally, um, write a couple. Write, write maybe two things down. Maybe the Lord has, has uh, pricked your heart with tonight of of ways that concrete ways that you need to slay pride and grow in humility. God honors that. God he listen, he loves to honor those who humble themselves. You see it all throughout the scriptures. He loves to he look at Isaiah. Isaiah sees the glory of God. He is his pride he goes out the window. He's humble before God and he's low before God and God honors that and says, "Go for it." Isaiah's ready. Go send me and the Lord does it. He sends him. He honors him. God honors he honors those who seek humility. Well, but it really, Jesus just keeps going here in Luke 14. So He had just given the parable to those who were invited to the feast, saying, hey, let's use this as an example. Don't live a life of self-promotion, because God will humble those who exalt themselves. But then in verse 12 of Luke 14, He says to the man who put on the feast. Here's what He says. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Now, to rest your heart, I don't think Jesus' intention here is to ban family reunions or to have rich neighbors over on occasion, What's, what's going on here? Jesus is saying, in your serving of others, don't do it so that they can recompense it back to you. In other words, don't do it for self-enrichment. So probably something what's going on is social status. Let's make sure we invite the rich elites so that we can get invited back, and that'll increase our social status, and we'll look better in society. Because it's all about... Us. That's what Jesus is exposing. That's what he's exposing. He says, hey, man, when you, when you have a big dinner, your next big dinner, go find a bunch of poor people. And I promise you, they will not increase your social status. Uh, their clothes will probably smell bad. And they may have some bad table manners. But invite them to the next feast. Go, go, go find some cripples. Maybe some maimed guys. Some guys who are missing some limbs. And make sure they get to the next feast. Go, go call the blind. Go call the lame. Go call the poor and, and bring them in. Because you know why? They can't repay you. They can't repay you. So it would be impossible for you to do it for a selfish reason, for a selfish purpose. What is Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us an example of pure-hearted service. Of pure-hearted service. And he, listen, let's take a step back for a moment before we think about Application. And in a sense, this is what Jesus has already done for people like us. This is what He's already done for people like us. Jesus did to people who really were physically crippled and maimed and blind, really did minister. But for all that God has saved, guess what? We all were spiritual cripples like Mephibosheth. We were all spiritually blind. We were all spiritually impoverished, had nothing to give. And Christ has come And enriched us, as we've already talked about, with His profound grace and mercy in an unspeakably glorious way. And guess what? You can't possibly repay Jesus. You can't possibly repay Jesus. Let's just say if Brother Kiefer was to live to be 311 years old, which he would not want to do. say He would serve Christ with every ounce of his being every day for 311 years and would come to the end, would he have repaid Jesus? Not even close. Not even close. So really what Jesus is saying here, in one sense, this is what he's done for us. He has, listen, somebody said, the Lord gets a lot less out of us than he puts into us. <laughs> now he's going to get glory for himself for us from all eternity. But we could never possibly repay the debt of grace that Christ has lavished upon us. But as we think about The application to us, as we think about the application to us, I I have to think about, and you'll remember this name, you'll remember this name, he always called himself this, at least to me, Richard A. Holmes, remember Richard? It wasn't just, he would call me and say, Tim, this is Richard A. Holmes, never just Richard Holmes, Richard A. Holmes. So I'd say, hey, Richard A. Holmes, and I, I, we, we, you all remember him, but I remember on numerous occasions when maybe daddy couldn't take him to a doctor, and so he asked me to do it. And those were always unique occasions. You remember Ricky. Just to be honest, a lot of times his jogging pants are falling down as you walk into the, into the uh, doctor's office, try to help him, and he didn't make my car more clean than, than when he found it. And a lot of times he wanted to go to lunch afterwards, which was great, but it wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant, appetizing experience. And I'm not, praise the Lord, he's in glory, but that, that's how it was. But I wouldn't take anything for every one of those experiences. You know why? I have, I really, I don't think I've ever felt more pure hearted and served. Like, I think this is what Jesus was talking about. I think this is the kind of thing Jesus had in mind. Because Ricky could not enhance my social status. We, we never got our picture taken by the paper or anything like that. He was a poor fella, he didn't have any money. But I tell you what, it felt a lot like Jesus to serve someone like that. Let's think about this kids. Young people, adults too. Kids, is there somebody in your social circle? Maybe at a class or at sports or even at church that um, maybe they're really annoying to most people. Or maybe they seem to be alone and they don't have many friends. And by you befriending them and reaching out to them, it, it would not increase your cool factor. You know, It wouldn't make you look cooler. But it would look a whole lot like Jesus. It would look a whole lot like Jesus to minister to someone like that. So who will you serve? Who, who will you reach out to? Pure-hearted service. You'll say, well, nobody. what if nobody notices? Or nobody notices my service. Some people get recognition, but nobody notices my service. Look at what Jesus said in verse 14. This is really amazing. So he, he tells the guy that does the feet, hey, next time have all these folks in because they can't repay you, but you'll be blessed They can't recompense you, but you'll be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Wow. Now, I'm not going to get into a deep theological of that. All the rewards that God gives, they're rewards of grace. I know that, but that means something right there. Jesus didn't just, that's not just flowery language. There are no doubt acts of service in this life that never ever will get some widespread recognition. May never get hardly noticed. But on resurrection day... The Lord's going to honor that. The Lord's going to honor that. This is faith. Faith is saying, I'm not just serving for a tangible, um, even blessing that I can see right now. I'm not even serving for some uh, outward recognition that I feel like I would be encouraging. I'm looking ahead far beyond this life. Like, I'm not serving the Lord um, just for some you know, little benefit right now. Yes, He'll bless me now. I've got my eyes on glory Glory to come will be the greatest um, uh, benefit, far greater than me having all the rich elites over, which would increase my social status for next week's dinner over at their house, Jesus is saying. Look beyond. Look beyond all that with an eternal perspective. I pray that God has, um, I really do, I pray that he's made you hurt a little bit, because I, I've had to hurt all week <laughs> preparing this. I pray that he's pricked your heart to, um, to see that ugliness of pride, but not for crushing but to see and rejoice that Christ has come to save us from our selfishness and pride and to teach us how to live in a pure-hearted love, in the same kind of love that He has loved us with. May God help us to take this out of the pew and into our daily lives. God bless you.